The natural order of things, according to God's ordinances, is older men training younger men, older women training younger women. That is discipleship. Now, that happens normally, right? Because you have mothers training daughters, fathers training sons, grandparents training the younger ones. It's always a training of an older generation to a younger generation, right? That's how it's supposed to be. Now, the interesting thing here, in Paul's day in the first century, here's what older meant. The average life expectancy was around 40 years old. That's older, according to Paul. (laughs) Now, that was the life expectancy, so depending on what that might look like. But as we dive into our first point. Now, if you like to take notes, I'm a a big note taker. The first point is God's assignment for older men, which goes back to the first two verses, which are, but as for you, teach what accords to sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. There are seven commands given by Paul to Titus in Crete. Now he starts off the section of scripture by considering Titus in particular and older men. Now notice he says, but as for you, because in the previous chapter in verses 10 to 15 in chapter 1, he's dealing with what? False teachers. This was a problem in the first century church, and this is probably why the epistle of 1 John was written, to combat Gnosticism, which comes from the word gnosis, which means secret knowledge, Gnosticism. And while he was uh, combating these false teachers, they were insubordinate, mouthy, and deceptive. They were liars, they were lazy, and motivated by money. They listened to the words of men into popular culture. Well, this could have been written just yesterday. People are listening to what? Popular culture today. And people in the pulpit are listening to popular culture and not the eternal word of God. See, Paul challenges Titus in verse 1 and older men to pursue a completely different path, be consistent with sound teaching and sound doctrine. That's what the word means teachings are we not supposed to constantly teach and we have to teach with what was according to sound teaching what the apostles taught in the new testament what the bible teaches essential doctrines an essential doctrine an example is the crucifixion of jesus christ if you get rid of the crucifixion Well, there's no salvation for us. How about this? If you get rid of the humanity of Jesus Christ, there is no more virgin birth. Therefore, there is no more crucifixion. See how it's a house of cards. When you take one essential doctrine away, everything crumbles. So, as this primary assignment starts, the first sub-point we have is be a teacher But as for you, you are to teach. Now, there's different aspects of teaching. There's pulpit teaching, and people are called to teach on the pulpit. Yes. That doesn't mean everyone's called to teach on the pulpit. Thank God. Because that can get very scary very fast. And there's certain people on the pulpit that today, in America's pulpits, that probably shouldn't be on the pulpit. 
I'll be honest with you on that one. To teach means that you are sharing knowledge, right? And you are teaching someone what is right and what is wrong. Everyone's a teacher to some respect, and we're all called to go forth and make disciples, right? So that means we're all called to teach something. So as the older men in the faith, they are to teach. A young pastor, Titus, is to teach. As for the older men, instruct them. And we are called to teach in some respect. And the, the respect is like, for example, if you're evangelizing, you are teaching someone about Jesus Christ. So we are all called to teach in some respect. The next thing is that to be level-headed, to be sober-minded. That's what we are called to do. More mature men in the church are to be self-controlled, sober, temperate, and level-headed. This goes, interesting, to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, which is a qualification of an overseer or an elder. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectful, hospitable, and able to teach. So you can even use that for an example of older men. Now, this man that they're talking about, this man ought to be wise in his decision-making and careful in making judgments. He's to be clear on what matters and what glorifies God. As believers in Jesus Christ, our primary purpose is to glorify God and not ourselves. It is not about our feelings. It is about His glory. This wise man, he rightly uses God's given talents, gifts, time, money, and energy for the glory of God and what is pleasing to God. He has his priorities in line. Next, he is to be reverent. In the text, it'll say older men are to be dignified. They are to be worth, worthy of respect. This man goes after what is noble and morally valuable. Something he has eternity in mind, as Matthew chapter 6 points out. Eternity, not the temperate. Which goes to 1 Timothy 3.8, which is the qualifications of a deacon. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy or for dishonest gain. Even a deacon's wife, in verse 11 of 1 Timothy chapter 3, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, not, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. This man, who they describe right now in Titus chapter 2, is not a goody-two-shoes. He's not a Pharisee. He stands up for what is right. He does not lie down for inappropriate behavior, off-color humor, humor, vulgarity. And he he stays what's within bounds and stays away from things that are clearly out of bounds. He is worthy of honor and respect, especially by younger men because of the purity and integrity of his life. To be self-controlled is the next one. 
older manner to be self-controlled. This seems to be the key idea in all four aspects. So you have older men, you have older women, you have younger men and younger women. And guess what? They're all to be self-controlled. Now, interestingly enough, in the passage, it doesn't say that the older women should be self-controlled, but they're supposed to teach self-control. It's because they already learned that guys have to figure it out. We, we're slow learners. But it is about being sensible. We are to be in control of our passions. And we need to be self-disciplined. Does it take self-discipline to read the Bible? Yeah. How about self-discipline to go to work? That takes time, right? It's discipline. You have to get up and go do something. It takes discipline to pray. It takes discipline to disciple someone because that is an intimate relationship and you are now vulnerable for that person. The discipler and the disciplee have an intimate relationship and it requires self-discipline, which requires self-control. And in order for us to be ambassadors for Christ and be a good witness, we have to be self-controlled. So when someone cuts you off on the parkway this weekend, don't get that upset. Pray for them. The next is sound in faith. Now, Paul, in his last three uh, terms in the verse, brings out, our uh, consideration of the Christian triad, which is faith, love, and endurance. And you know where they come from? Hope. And what does the Greek word mean? When it translates hope, it means what? Assurance. So remember, it's not like I hope I get this new car, or I get this new job, or I hope I get this, I hope I get that. It's That's false hope. This is a sure hope. See, mature godly men are to be sound and healthy and in their confidence in the trust of God. This is a personal faith that is rooted in a daily walk with Jesus Christ. And it's, it's a daily walk that involves the immersion of us in the scriptures. And in prayer, and prayer for ourselves, our families, for others. This man not only knows what he believes and why he believes it, he knows in whom he believes. They are to be loving. Older men are to do these things in love. Not the squishy kind of love that we see today. Not the love of, hey, you can do whatever you want. No, love tells the truth. Was Jesus loving? Yes, he was, right? He called Pharisees whitewashed tombs, your father's the devil. He flipped over tables and made a cord of whips. Well, well, Jesus is love, right? That was loving. And sometimes the truth hurts and we need to do it in love. 
Now, when Jesus said to his disciples the night he was betrayed in John 13, 35, says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is mentioned in, in the general sense here. But we are to love God supremely, our fellow believers genuinely, and lost humanity fervently. This older man is to be patient. The text would say the older man should be steadfast. A Christian of all people, because of the hope that is within him, should be patient, steadfast, and exhibit endurance. In Romans 5, 3-5, through 5 says, Rejoice in tribulation. Tribulation produces perseverance or endurance, depending on the translation. That perseverance, then character, and you know what that says in the Greek? Because the New Testament was written in Greek, right? It's proof, like a proven character. So as you go through all the trials, you persevere, and now you have this proven character. that proven character should be molding you to the image of Jesus Christ. See, the mature man does not give up under pressure or adversity. That mature godly man does not lose heart, does not throw in the towel, does not drop out of the race. Rather, he runs a race with endurance, fixing his eyes on Christ who is the author and finisher of our faith. And then that godly man will hear this one thing, well done, good and faithful servant. You have finished the race. You have won the prize. Now as we move to our second group is the God's assignment for older women. Older women are likewise charged to pursue God's assignment for godliness. Elizabeth Elliot um, her first husband was uh, Jim Elliott, who went to Ecuador uh, as a missionary and then was killed in Ecuador. But I want to, kind of want to read you. She wrote a, an article called Where are the Watts, W-O-T-T-S, Where are the Watts. And she was speaking to a group of pastor's wives, uh, and this was in 1997, and they were discovering about 80% of them were working outside the home. The question Elizabeth asked is simple and to the point. Where are the godly women who are to teach the young mothers how to manage their children in homes? Where are the Watts, the women of Titus 2? Those women are described here in these verses in verse 3. And he provided a fourfold job for them. First is to be reverent. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. This, now, when it says likewise, it connects verses 2 and 3 here. These older women have a task that's parallel to older men. The first character trait should pursue reverence, a word that means profound awe or respect. Now, the basic meaning is that this woman should live in such a way that is befitting of a godly person. Her life and behavior are marked by holiness. 
which is reflecting the character of God. Next, she is to be truthful. In the text, it'll say godly women are not to be slanderers. Supposed to speak truth and not slander, making false and unfounded accusations against someone. Now, the Greek word for slanderers. Ready for this? Diabolos. Diabolos. I usually don't use a lot of Greek words, but this is important. The word which we get in English, the word devil. The word devil. It's used to refer to our enemy 34 times in the New Testament. So a mature woman in Christ, a woman in Christ is not to be uh, devilish in her speak, picking up gossip and spreading it. In Ephesians 4.15 says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Next, that older woman is to be, guess what, level-headed again. See, his daughter, she's not addicted to much wine, much alcohol. See, the original language here is very strong. It's advising her not to become enslaved to too much wine because it dominates and controls them. That's why we're not to be filled with wine, but be filled with the spirit. It puts us under the influence. And if you look at this leadership list from 1 Timothy chapter 3, which is the qualification of an elder, is not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, or a lover of money. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Titus 1.7 says, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He is not to be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. So if we are to be leaders, those are good examples that we should follow and good guidelines we should follow. Now, this is true virtually in every culture, right? We look at people when they get drunk, like, hold on, there's a problem here. But this was especially true in Crete where Titus was. Heavy drinking at the time was a virtue. And it is the course, and it was understandable that if one never takes the first drink, one will never have to worry about drunkenness or alcoholism. But we are to follow in the footsteps of wisdom and be a witness for Jesus, and we have to be wise in the course of our actions. See, the bottom line is, A godly woman controls both her tongue and her appetite, which is also applied to godly men. And number three, for a godly woman, she is to be a teacher. Older women are to teach what is good. So in verses four and five, in Titus chapter 2, they are to train young women to love their husbands, their children, be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. 
This is an informal kind of teaching. This is a one-on-one type of discipleship situation. This is small groups. This is dealing with situations as they arise. Dealing with marriage issues, children issues. Child rearing is not easy. And when you're child rearing, you're learning as you go sometimes, and you're hoping an older wiser woman would be like, hey, this is what you should do. Same thing with younger men, you know, with, to love their wives. Now, the third main point is God's assignment for younger women. We just read that, that passage, so we're not going to revisit it, but the first point in there is to love your husband. Older women were to encourage and admonish or train to counsel and advise younger women to love their husbands. This is the only time in the Bible where a woman is encouraged to love her husband. Usually it's the other way around in Ephesians chapter 5, but in Colossians 3.19, here's what it says. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. See, Paul was concerned that a woman's first commitment under the lordship of Christ was her husband in her marriage. It's supposed to be God than her husband. I heard um, a, a person say this one time um, at a marriage uh, a, a marriage seminar. He said, you have the king and queen of the household, that's the husband and wife, and the kids are pawns. Not literally pawns, but they are to be of one accord and they are to be working together. You are to leave your mother and father, and join to your husband to become what? One flesh. They are to love their children next. Young women are to love their children. Now, this is something that is natural for a woman, right? To love their children. It seems like that would be a natural thing, right? You don't see that today. The amount of abortions that are going on today and people leaving their children in dumpsters. See, we think that's natural, but it really isn't. But for the godly woman to love their child, here's what Proverbs 29.15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. They need to be trained. The most important way a mother can love her child is to love them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They are to be self-controlled. Here we go again. Young woman, I'm not going to be a dead horse, but they need to be self-controlled. It's a specific group. They say they have to be focused. They have to be in control of their passions. They need to balance wisdom in their lives as they observe it in the lives of older, mature women. They need to be pure. They need to have a moral life. As it says in First uh, Timothy chapter 3, that an a elder needs to be a one-woman kind of man. That's what the Greek says. So should this woman be a one-man kind of woman? A homemaker... Proverbs 31, 10 to 31 teaches that 
A woman could be a diligent homemaker and be in, uh, involved in a, a wide range of activities. Now, this doesn't mean that a woman can't work. I'm not saying that. But the primary goal for a woman is to be to help with the household, to be a homemaker. That's what God's ordinance is. Because there's something about a woman raising children versus a man raising children. They need them both together. But there's nothing like a mother's nurturing. Nothing like it. See, is the, uh, being a homemaker is not a form of bondage or slavery. It is the greatest context for a woman to experience liberation and liberty as she is set free by the plan of God to be the woman God created and saved her to be. Once again, it doesn't say that you cannot work. You need to be good. In the text, it says younger women should be kind. As simple as it is, you need to be gentle, considerate, gracious, and merciful. Submissive to her husband. Ephesians chapter 5, 21-24. Colossians 3.18. 1 Peter 3, 1-5. Encourages a woman to be submissive to her husband. Submission means yielding in one's will to the leadership and direction of another. Does not mean that women are less than men. We are equal in worth. We have different roles. That's all we're saying, that we have different roles. And it says Adam came before Eve. Adam was created first, then Eve. And that command of not eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil was given to whom? Adam or Eve. It was given to Adam. He was supposed to pass on that knowledge to her. Um, the fourth point here is God's assignment for younger men. In verses 6 through 8, I'm going to read, Likewise, I urge younger men to be self-controlled, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and to uh, your teacher show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. As Paul addresses the fourth group, they ought to be instructed in how they should live. He recognizes that young men need godly mentoring and discipleship. They need a pattern. They need to be, guess what, level-headed, self-controlled, probably more than the other three, just saying. In Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance; from it flow the springs of life. The self-controlled man actively engages in the battle of the mind. We have the ability to control our thoughts and our actions. Why? Because we are judged by our what? Our thoughts and our actions. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The first commandment of the Ten Commandments, that you, are, should, not, you should not have any other gods before me. Guess what? That's a thought process. Before you steal, it's probably a thought process. The difference between uh, murder and manslaughter is what intent requires, a thought process. 
So all the Ten Commandments require a thought process. So this young man is supposed to be a good example in verse 7, addressing Titus as a younger man. The word to model is translated as like a type. It's a mold. He needs to be that mold. John Christendom said, Let the uh, luster of your life be a common school of instruction, a pattern of virtue for all. See, young men need to be looking for other godly men to to emulate. They need to be sound doctrine. Young men can't be fooled by false doctrine because if they're married, they're going to lead their family astray. Unfortunately, there's a lot of bad doctrine out there. In verse 8, you need to be sound in speech. They need to be pure vessels that pours out the word of God and not be evil or say anything discontent or vile. They need to be faithful and holy teachers when eventually shame uh, that can, they don't want to shame themselves because of the accusations. Because when you call yourself a Christian man or a Christian woman and you say thing, say reviling things, what happens? Oh, are you just a Christian? No, we don't want that. We want our speech to imitate our actions and our actions to imitate our speech. And both of those are founded in the Holy Scriptures. Now, we move to our quick application I like to say apply now because now you apply. I like to call action. Be a good imitation. Paul urged Titus to be a good example to those around him uh, so that others, especially young men, might see Titus's good works and imitate him. Paul said it, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Titus's life would give his words greater impact. If you want someone to act a certain way, be sure that you live that way yourself. It's not do as I do or do as I say, not as I do. That doesn't work in Christianity. You need to imitate the life that Christ has given you. Here's a good example from Thomas Brooks. Example is the most powerful rhetoric. We are to live the life that we so-called say we imitate. 